Welcome to Coppercast, a show dedicated to exploring the wonderful and technical world of institutional investment into digital assets. I'm your host, Fadi Abualfa, Copper's Head of Research, and today our guest is Eric Chen, co-founder and CEO of Injective Labs. Eric, welcome. Hey, how's it going? Eric, thank you for joining us on the show today. I think it would be best to just give us a little bit of a catch-up as to what Injective's recent developments have been since launching the protocol, what, almost two years ago now? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So uh, just to give a brief overview, uh, Injective is a blockchain bill for finance. It's an open and interoperable layer one blockchain powering the next generation of DeFi applications. Uh, some of them you know, currently includes uh, decentralized bot and derivatives exchanges, prediction markets, lending protocol, and much, much more. And as a matter of fact, you know, during, I think this week, um, maybe by the time the podcast went out, uh, it'll be already be out. Uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, financial applications and you know, marketplace around NFTs. Uh, and you know real world asset as well, and so since you know the launch, I think roughly around a little over like a year ago. So I think there has been you know more than like two two hundred million uh, on chain transactions, uh, five point six million ish, um, uh, maybe five point seven at this point. Inj burned uh, over nine billion dollars in cumulative trading volume, and currently you know for the past few months we've seen a lot of exciting developers you know joining the injective ecosystem. Uh, coming from you know Solana, coming from you know Terra ecosystem, etc. Astroport has uh, deployed and you know gained uh, six or seven million dollars uh, in TVL and continuously growing, adding a million here and there every other day. Um, and then on top of that, uh, there's also a lot of you know exciting Solana projects like Bonfita also cross deploying on top of Injective. Um, so the ecosystem is you know currently at its uh, inflection point towards uh, building you know uh, very very quick uh, developer ad- adoption. So you, you said something there. You said next generational DeFi products, and just to avoid sort of the lingo, what does what does that mean? What does that mean for you? And what do you what do you think that looks like? What what does that financial ecosystem look like in the future? Yeah, absolutely. So so Injective is you know kind of like a se- sector specific blockchain. Um, it's meant to target a specific vertical uh, with a lot of you know on-chain primitives and optimizations to make sure that. Uh, applications building in a generalized environment, finding you know various roadblocks um, and different types of uh, economic issues and scalability issues can t- utilize uh, a lot of uh, injective native primitives and modules uh, to truly scale their apps and to truly build you know highly groundbreaking uh, DeFi applications. So one of the modules is the uh, exchange module, which encompasses the derivatives uh, primitive, uh, the order book exchange primitive, and spot uh, primitive. And this means that. Uh, basically, this is a uh, order book that supports, you know, uh, derivatives and spot trading that undergoes, you know, highly uh, capital efficient and highly scalable um, frequent batch auction, which allows for kind of like the existence of minor extractable value or front running to be extinguished. Um, and this, you know, currently is one of the largest rent seeking, quote unquote, uh, behavior that's happening within a lot of the generalized environment uh, where, you know, different types of actors will Kind of enact you know sandwich attacks or take advantage of uh, uninformed users on you know different types of uh, trading executions and this is you know uh, for for injective this is one of the easiest problems to solve for uh, DeFi developers right off the bat and on top of that there's also you know a an oracle module which allows for access to a kind of plethora of different types of oracle solutions uh, some of which includes you know band pif uh, etc and also allows for any type of uh, custom 
uh, Oracle module to kind of conform and share the same type of standard to be utilized by all applications. So there's a lot of you know, different types of collaboration with uh, Burn Finance in the past where different types of uh, Oracle solution were spun up um, to service at and to supply price feed for a specific market uh, that's not necessarily you know, uh, supported by uh, dominant Oracle players uh, right on day one. And that creates kind of like this truly permissionless and you know highly developer-friendly, innovation-friendly environment. And then on top of that, there's also you know uh, a Cosmosm smart contract environment, which are where most of the DeFi developers are deploying their uh, smart contracts, deploying their applications. And this is actually highly innovative because on top of this you know highly scalable, highly robust Wasm-based environment, there's also an auto-executing feature which allows for um, basically the utility of Crank to be uh, kind of completely replaced by an on-chain primitive. And this allows for a lot of these uh, computationally ex- uh, intensive, liveness intensive application to be triggered right at the beginning of uh, every single injective block uh, to perform you know, uh, always you know, live and real-time state updates. And then on top of that, I think generally for uh, injective and bring all, a lot of these modules together, uh, it has you know one of the most uh, a robust liquidity sharing environment with all the you know liquidity sharing uh, primitive built on top and different types of exchange applications like Injective, like Wavely, like INJ Dojo, et cetera, can all share the same type of uh, liquidity access and the same actually flow access for you know any type of uh, market that they choose. And on top of that, it's also you know very much uh, institutional and smart money, quote unquote, ready because it allows for you know first of all a very familiar uh, order book based uh, interface but also more importantly it's a highly secure and uh, highly safe uh, environment for execution to be done in the fairest way possible well it's very different to what we are sort of accustomed to now with the models of automated market makers models and things like that why do you think that that might not be as good it's a new new sort of a model it's a different type of model for sure why do you think that might not be institutional ready? Having an on-chain order book primitive is rarely possible for most of generalized environments. Um, you know, a, a few of them have certainly tried. Ethereum in the past have uh, dabbled with kind of like on-chain order book. Solana has also dabbled with the on-chain order book, but they all share, you know, um, similar issues uh, that are causing, you know, a lot of uh, the safety and usability and scalability bottleneck. And for injective, since it's sector specific, it managed to maintain a very, very fast block time of uh, one second with, uh, I believe, you know, 22,000 or to 25,000, you know, uh, order updates per second. And this basically allows for kind of this like highly performant, highly scalable environment to be done where institutions, especially, you know, high frequency uh, players in the traditional financial world or uh, within, you know, like the, the digital asset space can deploy their sophisticated algorithm and create a truly, you know, capital efficient marketplace. Um, because, you know, in the traditional AMM model, the fee uh, implied within every single execution and more importantly, you know, the cost of uh, uh, market making and the cost of, uh, you know, uh, um, providing liquidity, even for a Uniswap V3 model um, is, you know, highly capital intensive. And it's rare, uh, it's usually, you know, rarely worth it unless it's for the h- highly privileged few or, you know, the, the, the rich few. So one of the things that Injective stands out is that it is a use case sort of specific chain and so in, in this idea of a decentralized financial ecosystem. And a lot of things that we've seen in DeFi so far is sort of forking, copy, replicating the same sort of models across chain. Why is that problematic? And 
do you think there's a different message that needs to be sent across the ecosystem developers that would be beneficial for the industry as a whole to move forward? I mean, like for Injective's case, I think the ecosystem is all about, you know, um, having fundamental innovations. It's not about having different types of uh, growth strategy or different types of uh, economic uh, structure um, to, to experiment, which, you know, even though a lot of the uh, other generalized environments or layer ones have uh, all, you know, share the same contract, uh, smart contract environment like EVM, et cetera, um, but, you know, they, they have certainly done, you know, a lot of very fundamental work and a lot of very novel work uh, because of the various, you know, like uh, properties and, you know, m- micro features that they have that allows developers to realize, you know, some feature. But for Injective's case, it's really about taking, you know, a fairly big, but uh, certainly, you know, more difficult than others uh, uh, leap towards getting developers familiar with uh, the new environment, uh, locating and uh, kind of connecting with de- developers or looking to build DeFi applications that, uh, wants to be, you know, um, unrestricted by the constraints of uh, any type of uh, EVM environment or any type of generalized environment's uh, limitations. Uh, and on top of that, because of these, uh, you know, native modules that are being interoperated with each other, uh, there's a new world of uh, possibility, a new world of uh, utility that's being expanded upon, where basically a lot of the applications that you see now um that are you know building within Injective that are experimenting with it has never uh, before been seen within a DeFi world. Uh, on-chain strategy, you know, being able to borrow against your entire portfolio and still trading with the collateral, uh, being able to you know perform uh, advanced margining and credit systems, and being able to deploy a lot of different types of liquidity provisioning strategies that does not have you know implied and permanent loss or heightened capital efficiency, etc. And I think that's, you know, truly like a marvelous thing. And that's, you know, really within the spirit of innovation. Do you think that's kind of where DeFi has failed so far in trying to build a capital efficient system? We've seen sort of the interest rates drop. We've seen DeFi interest on sort of the compounds and the Aave become very, very uninteresting in comparison to a treasury bill, for example. What is it that the industry sort of missed to build upon in terms of the opportunity cost of money when it comes to central banks being able to print money and increase interest rates and offer a different type of um, potential earning that DeFi simply cannot. Um, I, I think there's two perspectives to it. One is you know more on like a semi-philosophical like macro view um, that. I'll probably get to later. Putting it within like a financial market perspective, th- this issue is not unique to DeFi. Um, this is why you know um, a lot of the uh, traditional bank failure, uh, a lot of the you know um, issues within the traditional financial world that we're seeing right now uh, are, are showing up. It's that you know once the cost of capital, the required return for you know all asset classes and all metrics uh, uh, have been practically elevated and propped up by the rates. Uh, Basically, you know, a lot of the assets out there are just becoming, you know, more and more uninteresting and, you know, uninvestable. And this is why, you know, you're seeing kind of like this uh, retraction or um, kind of this uh, reduction in uh, the interest within the overall, you know, uh, high risk or uh, risk on asset class or, you know, a lot of financial services and firms within the financial industry uh, in the traditional world. So, you know, DeFi is certainly not alone in this. Um, And as a matter of fact, um, from the most core and you know 
veering towards a little bit more on the macro side. At its core, you know, DeFi is meant to be idiosyncratic from all the happenings within a traditional world. It's not meant to uh, be, you know, extremely tied down uh, to the movements of a certain, you know, a single nation state, uh, no matter how influential and how intertwined it is, right? And that is kind of like the design of it is that you follow kind of like the supply and demand and natural dynamics of the market. And, you know, right now, um, the, the yield on top of, let's say, the dollar asset class um, is simply higher within, you know, any type of uh, treasury notes, uh, short term or, you know, um, a money market, et cetera. And that's going to kind of stay that way for any type of, of uh, dollar denominated asset class because, you know, it's, at the end of the day, it's controlled by the Fed, right? Um, so I think, you know, the true next step or the true long-term vision for uh, decentralized finance is to, first of all, have um, kind of like a stable asset that's uh, moving independently from any type of uh, do- dollar denominated asset class. But more importantly is to have its own, you know, type of uh, uh, economic dynamic uh, to you know move independently uh, from you know all the happenings within the traditional financial world and slowly you know um, migrate people over to this uh, financial infrastructure. But in this world we live in right now, it's it's highly intertwined and uh, the entire you know high growth industry that is crypto is uh, still being treated as a risk on industry and it's going to be affected by uh, the current interest rate environment. Let's just step back a second, Eric, because you mentioned the stable coin and maybe an independent stable coin that isn't sort of linked to the U.S. dollar or U.S. treasuries. How do we how do we build something like that? What does that look like in the future? Does it look sort of like in a university endowment fund, or does it is it uh, like the IMF SPDR sort of basket? What how does it look? What what kind of stable asset structure? do we need to build that would be globally recognized? You know, like there are a lot of people out there that are probably a lot more educated to answer a better, uh, like, like to provide a better, better answer on this. Um, sure. Because, you know, at the end of the day, like a uh, stable coin isn't uh, uh, something that I, I delve very, very deeply in. Um, but, you know, personally, I believe that it should simply, you know, track uh, a basket of uh, commodity goods. Um, whether through like a uh, real world asset like a collateralization model, um, or you know through uh, different types of uh, synthetic tracking methods, certainly you know there has been multiple um, you know failures within uh, the stablecoin world, especially you know for those that are uh, trying to you know uh, have kind of like a non-dollar backed model. But I think you know th- this is going to be where the uh, global economy is going to move forwards is to have kind of like a basically like a currency that's uh, being reflective of the uh, global economy rather than a single nation state economy. And obviously, you know, there are you know immense amount of incentive and interest and hi- historical backing for it to be, you know, centered around uh, the default uh, currency backed by a nation state. But, you know, with technology, with um, you know, in- innovations within the financial sector, that's not necessarily just about uh, um, kind of like the underlying infrastructure I believe in the next 50 to 100 years, um, there's going to be, you know, like a global currency that's uh, stable, that's uh, um, not being, you know, fully uh, controlled by a single nation state. There's something a little bit paradoxical that's happening in DeFi for the last couple of years. We know that the U.S. regulators aren't friends to crypto, and yet everything is sort of circling around USD. Um, 
denominated um, assets and asset classes and stable coins. There hasn't been an expansion into euro, even though that's available, and there hasn't been an expansion into other tokenized um, sovereign currencies, even though they're available. Why do you think that is? Why hasn't the DeFi ecosystem said, look, you guys aren't playing nice, we're going to move into into another asset class, into another currency. Why haven't they used the, that sort of power to make a point and send a message to the global finance that we're here and play with us, we're here to, to engage, we want to do good? How can we move that forward? So my question is, why hasn't the DeFi ecosystem weaponized smart contracts and tokenized currencies that don't want them. Yeah, I, I mean, like, certainly, like, uh, it's a difficult task for, like, regulators to figure out, like, what, what is the plan, best plan forward, and there are a lot of, you know, different uh, voices and opinions uh, that, you know, creates such an uncertain environment. Some are friendly, some are, you know, less friendly, and, you know, we, we, we've uh, kind of noticed and discussed with uh, people on, you know, bo- both sides of the uh, house, and uh, it, it's certainly tough. And I would say that for DeFi's case, um, at the end of the day, it's a mass coordina- uh, coordination issue. Um, everyone has their own, you know, agent-based uh, incentives and uh, um, kind of like a basically like a utility function that they adhere to. And um, basically, if you you know convolute all these uh, agents together, you're going to realize that um, people are going to default to the most adopted uh, currency within uh, the real world or within the traditional world. Um, that has the most liquidity, the most you know seamless user experience, and uh, the most stability. And the current standing, you know, especially given the dollar dominance and given you know um, uh, what, what the world uses, it, it's still the dollar. So it's very hard for uh, kind of like a new high growth uh, uh, space or sector to move away from that because uh, the, the users will default to the dollar for any type of uh, value benchmark for any type of uh, you know conversion or access to liquidity. Let's get a little bit back to Injective. I think I read somewhere that there was a bit of a financial boost to your ecosystem to the tune of 150 million. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what are the goals here? Yeah, I mean, um, so right now, um, as you can see, uh, with with the hackathon, you know, in full swing, um, and I'm not sure when the podcast is going to be out, but, you know, maybe the winner has already been, uh, you know, selected and decided you're going to see, you know, this uh, Injective Venture Group to, you know, stand out and show show their support for a lot of these, uh, you know, highly innovative projects that are uh, kind of breeding during the hackathon. But uh, all, all in all, you know, like the uh, $150 million Injective Venture Group is uh, supported by a lot of the, you know, both traditional um, and also uh, crypto native uh, institutions uh, like Pantera, Jump, uh, Delphi Labs, et cetera, uh, to kind of uh, congregate a resource uh, and, you know, their uh, capital to basically boost and accelerate a developer adoption on top of Injective. And especially, you know, during the current market uh, condition and during the, you know, uh, previous collapses and happenings within this uh, industry, uh, it's not hard for, you know, any type of uh, entrepreneurs or any type of founders to start questioning uh, whether there are any VCs around that are available to write out checks to support, uh, you know, innovative projects. Uh, or whether there's any type of uh, uh, investor interest at all, how much of a bad press the, this space has been getting recently. And this, uh, this venture group is basically meant to signal that, hey, um, uh, these, uh, these investors here have put their foot down. Um, 
signal their uh, support and their commitment to this uh, ecosystem. A lot of them are existing stakeholders. Uh, there's also a lot of them that have, you know, demonstrated, um, you know, that they have a strong thesis in uh, what Injective is uh, working on as an ecosystem, and basically showing that hey, um, if if you're project building on top of uh, Injective or you know building uh, innovative things in DeFi uh, in Cosmos. Um, we're, we're here to back you. We're here to help. And I think, you know, th- this can come at a better time uh, uh, in this environment. So last month, I believe we saw Cascade launch and come live, which was the first Solana virtual machine rollup um, that works with Injective, right? Yeah. Uh, great. Can you can you tell us a little bit about sort of the controversies around Solana especially from the Ethereum community for, for, for various reasons. I've used Solana myself and I found it to be very fast and very cheap and the user experience is actually a little bit nicer than Ethereum. It's, it's because it's a lot more faster, it's responsive and it's something we've kind of become accustomed to. Um, I mean, granted, there's some downtime issues with Solana, uh, but I do believe that Jump is doing some really major work on that front. How important is sort of these, this idea of full decentralization and does it trump the user experience that might be more responsive and more immediate? I, I think there's a lot of uh, point of uh, discussion here uh, in like the you know, Solana versus the Ethereum uh, ecosystem debate. Um, but I think, you know, like looking at it from like a bird's eye view, um, especially, you know, as someone who's kind of... Uh, um, for for Injective's case, uh, you know, I personally certainly have uh, a small bias, uh, yeah, because you know, uh, Injective is very much a Ethereum native. Um, this uh, the user experience, uh, the you know, a lot of the on-chain mechanisms uh, b- built in within Injective is meant to be as friendly as possible to an Ethereum user and to be as composable as possible, uh, even though it's working in a different environment with uh, any type of Ethereum applications, uh, but. Um, I, I think you know uh, Solana has done a wonderful job in you know exploring you know alternative models of uh, how a blockchain could work and uh, really taking from like a, a full-on like theoretical uh, theoretically uh, robust uh, or like a you know like a uh, consensus theory uh, maximize uh, point of view towards a um, kind of like a locally optimized engineering focused point of view. Where uh, Solana, you know, uh, from a lot of their kind of like core on-chain primitives, uh, from, you know, their uh, tower BFT mechanisms, from, uh, you know, how the consensus works, is meant to basically fully optimize and to fully focus on one thing and practically, you know, one thing only, which is uh, block time and transactions per second. And this is really, really great for, uh, you know, like a new environment to come up and kind of uh, allow for applications to... uh, uh, that 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 really fits the criteria for you know like a uh, for 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 the Solana uh, you know underlying infrastructure uh, to build applications that wouldn't have necessarily been possible uh, within Ethereum or within any type of uh, EVM environment, and it's also you know very rarely you see uh, uh, you know so much parallelization being done uh, from the ground up uh, uh, within you know like a blockchain system itself, uh, given you know how interactive and how um, uh, how much importance there is to ensure that everyone shares the same uh, state and ensures you know everyone has well, live liveness guarantee etc. Uh, I would say like a lot of issues certainly comes from you know 
people trying to, you know, kind of not necessarily understanding uh, the true offering of Solana and, you know, uh, deploying or evangelizing uh, applications or use cases that uh, Ethereum uh, community members might find to, to be, you know, more, uh, might find it uh, to be fatiguing, um, where, you know, it's just another uh, NFT project where it's just another, you know, uh, um, AMM. They could have built it on Ethereum. There's no limitations on that, but they decided to build it on Solana because of uh, all the, you know, uh, backing, et cetera. And I, I, I you know, I, I don't necessarily see like, a, um, I don't necessarily fully agree, but, you know, I, I do understand, you know, wh- where they're coming from on, on that front. Um, so basically, all in all, you know, like uh, in favor of uh, speed and also, uh, you know, being being fully, you know, optimized on, you know, block time, being fully optimized on, you know, transactions per second and being able to support a very, very high throughput, um, you're going to be sacrificing a few aspects, e- even from the fundamental, you know, uh, cat theorem perspective, right? And not all applications are necessarily suitable for this type of environment. There are a lot of applications that could tr- truly excel in these type of environments. And, you know, I, I think, you know, the Ethereum uh, ecosystem and community has been uh, very much focused or, you know, very much uh, embedded within the same type of belief uh, where, you know, um, it has to be absolutely maximizing on decentralization, um, you know, perhaps slow down on, you know, uh, scalability or um, making sure that the trust assumptions for any type of layer two solutions are absolutely symmetrical to the core underlying security of uh, Ethereum. And more, most importantly, the decentralization of uh, Ethereum itself. Um, and, you know, like, like when they apply that mindset towards uh, uh, a network or a blockchain that's uh, very much focused on uh, attaining the highest possible uh, scalability, attaining the highest possible speed without, you know, uh, uh, implementing sharding, without implementing, you know, any type of a horizontal scalability, um, there is going to be, you know, fundamental ideological uh, differences. But does that, th- philosophically, does is there a difference for you as Injective Labs because you're an interoperable chain at the end of the day? Does it matter to you the philosophical differences here between the the chains and the roll-ups and the security and all of these things where do you guys fit into that yeah i I think like uh the overall you know ecosystem for injective at this point is uh quite massive so you know uh uh, my personal uh philosophy or my, my personal belief uh might not be agreed by most of the stakeholders at this point for the injective uh, ecosystem, but you know, for for me personally, um, it, it's it's always about innovation and um, basically the bar for decentralization within the Web two world is so low that uh, any type of uh, you know uh, um, uh, marginal decentralization or any type of uh, uh, kind of like a stepping stone uh, towards a um, kind of a a fully decentralized and fully, you know, uh, self-sovereign uh, ecosystem or, you know, fully self-sovereign world um, it is going to be a very much of a monumental step. And I think, you know, this space is still very nascent. Um, everyone is, you know, trying out different approaches. And to be honest, you know, at the end of the day, like uh, the ecosystem that gets the most adoption, that gets the most user, um, especially on like a, um, a value contribution perspective, um, that is going to be, you know, canonical. It's kind of like the, you know, TCP IP world back then, right? Um, and for for Injective's case, it's just trying to be extremely good at one thing or, you know, it's trying to aggregate and uh, um, support developers that are focused on, you know, a specific vertical and that is, you know, any type of advanced uh, financial applications or any type of uh, um, 
kind of financial use cases. And uh, it's all about, you know, maximizing the interoperability for all of these faithful ecosystem participants that are just trying to drive uh, innovation and just trying to, you know, build really cool things to be able to su- support them and to be able to demonstrate Injective's use case. Why is it? Why is there this focus on interoperability for you if you sort of believed from the start that the chain that gets the most adoption is going to sort of win out? Um, why didn't you just focus on one chain from the start? Because interoperability is hard. It's not easy. And I think everyone knows that. So you took a very, very difficult path in building out Injective while philosophically you have sort of a different maybe view on this. What, what was the reasoning behind that? Basically, a single uh, ecosystem or single chain winning out is uh, very, very much vertical specific. If one chain is going to win out the entire, you know, uh, digital asset space or the crypto space, um, it, it's really about, you know, one chain winning out on, for example, asset uh you know, issuance or asset uh, uh, custody, um, and Ethereum probably has the most amount of uh, value sitting uh, on the chain itself, being secured by the Ethereum consensus, um, and perhaps you know uh, high throughput, high uh, high transaction load, any type of uh, I would say like you know computationally uh, intensive applications might uh, favor uh, Solana. It's not you know like one shoes uh, fits all type of uh, perspective, but rather you know being able to win out a specific vertical and to, you know, share uh, in an unimpeding way uh, f- uh, for all developers, for all applications to adopt. Very cool. Is there something that you think that is really critical in the next year or so that the community needs to really focus on? I think Vit- Vitalik had a tweet at the end of the year at the end of the last year, which really focused on sort of scalability and the UX and security. What are your thoughts on things that the community needs to focus on? That is certainly always going to be the focus for the entire space, uh, security, UX, uh, usability. Um, and there's been you know, certainly a lot of uh, work being done, especially with the you know, uh, most recent uh, upgrade and you know, some of the re- recent you know, Ethereum improvement proposals, et cetera, with, uh, uh, around you know, account abstraction. Um, all of these are meant to kind of uh, allow for uh, the expansion of uh, use cases to not be, you know, overly uh, um, kind of like a chain native uh, for, for uh, and, you know, encumber that type of, uh, you know, uh, requirement or responsibility upon the user to understand how the Ethereum blockchain work, uh, how, you know, a lot of the kind of uh, abstracted away within the Web2 world, uh, you know, uh, security primitives or uh, cryptographic primitives uh, work. And account abstraction is, you know, like a huge uh, leap forward towards it. And um, that, that is, you know, going to show more and more um, uh, kind of an impact within the uh, uh, crypto world uh, over time as, you know, more and more applications build on top of this type of uh, primitive. I would say like one of the most important priorities within, um, uh, within this space, uh, let's say for this year, for next is finding ways to kind of... Uh, uh, synergize all the resource and be able to kind of uh, uh, allow for much more mature uh, ecosystem participation and you know mindshare aggregation uh, because you know we've seen uh, a lot of the lack of innovations uh, so to speak uh, amongst you know like uh, applications and projects uh, that are just trying to you know uh, fork other projects uh, in the most minimal way possible without you know uh, 
significant innovations. And uh, the reason why for that is that you know at the end of the day, there's uh, the, the there's value to be extracted. There's uh, you know um, upside to be attained uh, by taking on that uh, approach. And you know I think the the great thing about bear market is that it forces a lot of the you know talented developers to um, really rethink their uh, approach and rethink their strategy and to you know work on you know truly fundamental innovations and to lower kind of like the um, cost of uh, time or kind of like the cost of resource um, f- and to really build innovative things that can uh, have a much more long-term uh, impact and longer time horizon rather than focusing on you know the kind of like the short-term payout uh, uh, for you know simply forking a project and deploying it on another chain. How does the community come together to do this sort of mindshare? What, there is a very dog-eat-dog world in crypto, so to speak. Nobody wants to be friends. How does, how does everyone become friends and, and have a chat and be frank? What, what do we need to do? People are much friendlier uh, during tough times, for sure. Um, you know, like the spaces really uh, come together and... Um, there has been, you know, far less animosity uh, amongst different types of the ecosystem, and uh, you know, users and ecosystem participants uh, in any type of network or in, in any type of uh, kind of like identifiable group, in a sense, uh, have come to become you know more accepting of the other. Uh, and I would say, you know, like this is certainly you know very very great to see. Um, I think really back in the day, maybe even before, right before I started uh, Injective Labs in 2018 or something, I think. One of the uh, most common saying I said to my friends uh, uh, who, are, who are also in the space and who are now doing amazing things is, you know, why can't we all just be friends? Um, because back then there were like animosity between, you know, Bitcoin maximalists, uh, Bitcoin maxis and, you know, uh, Ethereum uh, uh, ecosystems uh, uh, developers or uh, projects, uh, participants, etc. And there's, you know, like kind of this uh, war amongst uh, different types of generalized environments or L1s. Um, that are, you know, sharing a lot of uh, animosity and the space has, you know, certainly matured a lot since then. And I would say that it's uh, only going to mature more. And this is certainly not unique uh, to the crypto space at all. Um, There's, you know, any type of high growth, high attention, you know, high value uh, industry, like back then in the dot-com world, you're going to see uh, developers asking for uh, millions uh, in, in compensation for building, you know, like a simple website and uh, people are willing to pay for it. Um, you're, go- if you're still going to see, you know, um, uh, to this day, like very simple AI applications uh, r- raising a large amount of funding for, you know, marginal work. Uh, there's also, you know, plenty of animosity, you know, currently within the, uh, I guess, like the, you know, machine learning world amongst, you know, different types of uh, ecosystem participants, I think famously, you know, between, I guess, uh, Elon Musk and OpenAI, et cetera. And it's a natural process of uh, uh, maturation. And, and th- there are certainly w- uh, ways to uh, speed this process up uh, by working together as a united front. Eric, on that friendly note, I think uh, we can call this chat wonderful. Thank you for coming on to our show. I think we have a, a clear message, a unified front. Let's all be friends and uh, let's hopefully figure it out for the, for the next generation of people who will use a, uh, hopefully, a decentralized financial ecosystem. Eric, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. As always, we appreciate you tuning into Coppercast. Follow me for regular updates on cryptocurrency macro research, digital assets, and distributed financial market infrastructure. 
My handle is at Fadi Alpha. Thank you to my producer, Kate Light, for continued support. And if you would want to get in touch, email us at marketing at copper.co or find us on Twitter at CopperHQ. This podcast has been prepared for informational purposes only without regard to any individual investment objectives, financial situation or means, and Copper is not soliciting any action based upon it. This podcast is not to be construed as a recommendation or an offer to buy or sell any security, financial product, instrument, or to participate in any particular trading strategy. Certain transactions, including those in digital assets, give rise to substantial risk and are not suitable for all investors. The value of digital assets may go down and your capital and assets may be at risk.